Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Do you take vitamins every day and feel no difference? Do you add to the supplement graveyard <laughs> that is your cabinet or drawer? Your body makes it really hard to absorb nutrients sometimes, both from food and from traditional supplements. So many things from digestive conditions like celiac and IBS to taking medications like antibiotics and birth control pills to even just under a lot of stress and not feeling good can prevent you from absorbing vitamins and nutrients. With lipospheric supplements from Live On Labs, you can finally experience the benefits of high-dose vitamins and minerals by outsmarting your body's absorption barriers. Live On Labs is the first dietary supplement company to use liposomal encapsulation technology a method pioneered by pharmaceutical companies to deliver life-saving drugs to the cells where they are needed the most. Lipospheric supplements offer a better way to absorb nutrients, including vitamin C, folate, B12, zinc, magnesium, and glutathione. The nutrients in lipospheric supplements are critical for optimal immune system function, long-term brain health, metabolism, skin health, and so much more. Live On Labs only uses ingredients necessary to make a safe and effective product. There's no sugar or any artificial flavors, colors, or fillers in any lipospheric supplement. Plus, they're all vegan, gluten-free, and non-GML. How do you take it? Super simple. There's no more choking down pills. All you do is just squeeze a packet into one to three ounces of any cool beverage and take it like a shot. It's like a healthy shot. Order any lipospheric supplement now from liveonlabs.com slash well and get a free sample of all six products plus a free shot glass, free shipping on all orders in the continental US. Again, that's liveonlabs.com slash well, L-I-V-O-N-L-A-B-S.com slash well. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up? It's Dr. Will Cole and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago. And I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, which is my newest book. 
and the inflammation spectrum and ketotarian. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, the books, and there's loads of free content there as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. All right, let's get to today's guest. He is freaking brilliant. His name is Dr. Marvin Singh. He's an integrative gastroenterologist in San Diego. He's a member of the board of the American Board of Integrative Medicine. He is also a trained and board certified in internal medicine and gastroenterology. He's a graduate of Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine. Singh completed his residency training in internal medicine at the University of Michigan Health System, followed by a fellowship training in gastroenterology at Scripps Clinic Torrey Pines. Singh was trained by Dr. Andrew Weil, who is a pioneer in the field of integrative medicine at the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine, naturally. Singh is currently the Director of Integrative Gastroenterology at the Susan Samueli Integrative Health Institute at UC Irvine. He is also currently a voluntary assistant clinical professor at UCSD in the Department of Family Medicine and Public Health. Prior to this, he's been a clinical assistant professor at UCLA and an assistant professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins University. Singh is a member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and many other societies. He is actively involved in the American Gastroenterological Association, and he is one of the editors of the textbook of Integrative Gastroenterology, second edition, and has written several books and book chapters and articles in the scientific literature. Today, we cover so much good stuff that I know you all will geek out so hard on. We talk about Marvin's passion for precision medicine and what he means by that. We talk about the difference between precision medicine and functional medicine and conventional medicine, all these types of medicine, what the differences are there. We talk about the importance of targeting and treating your microbiome, your gut health from one of the world's top gastroenterologists. Definitely want to check this out. We talk about the nutritional habits from Marvin's newest book that he recommends on your health. We talk about the consequences of unhealthy stress management and how it's linked to so many different health problems. You definitely want to check this out. And the important steps necessary to start improving your gut health today. And Marvin's best piece of advice for the art of being well. And be sure to listen the entire way through because at the end, I answer one of your burning health questions in another edition of Ask Me Anything. All right, let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Marvin Singh. Dr. Marvin Singh, thank you so much for being on The Art of Being Well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, it's going to be good. We're going to geek out. The people will love it. Talk about all the stuff that we're passionate about. And I think it will edify the people that listens their lives because this stuff we know, I mean, we see on an hourly basis, the topics we're going to talk about today can change people's lives for the better if they take action on it and they learn about their bodies and 
enhance their health. So anyways, before we get into all of that, can you tell everybody what you do and your heart and your passion when it comes to this field of healthcare? These days, that's a loaded question because I'm doing so many different things. But yeah, we'll um, break it all down. I want to hear about it all. <laughs> so I'm a gastroenterologist. So that means I specialize in digestive health or gut health. I do colonoscopies and endoscopies and all those kind of procedures. But I'm a little bit of a different kind of gastroenterologist in that what you would call an integrative gastroenterologist. So there are a few, uh, only a handful of uh, GI doctors in the country that have done a formal training in integrative medicine as well. And I did a two-year fellowship with Andrew Weil at the Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine. It's now called the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine in Tucson. And uh, that was while I was practicing. So it was like I you know, started working, finished my GI training, started working, and then all of a sudden uh, I'm back in school again. So, uh, so that was a two-year process and I'm now you know, certified in, in that area as well. From there, within that field, I started to develop a real passion for precision medicine. Um, started learning more about the gut microbiome and its associations with a lot of different kinds of things. And I realized, I said, you know, as a GI doctor, I could influence so many different kinds of people's health, uh, not just people who have, you know, stomach aches or, you know, bloating, you know, heartburn, those kind of GI symptoms, but, you know, more chronic conditions, more autoimmune conditions. And Mm -hmm. so I really became passionate about, you know, precision medicine and started learning more about genomics and different imaging type of tests and putting it all together. Cause I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could look at somebody's genes and their microbiome and their sensitivities and their inflammation markers and their micronutrient levels and put it all together and sit down and actually give them a good idea of what they should eat, what supplements they need to take, how they should live their lifestyle so that they can really optimize their health. And mm-hmm. there was born the idea for Precision Clinic, which is my my precision-based practice. So I have several different kinds of practices, but that's the one that I'm the most passionate about because that's my mm-hmm. uh, special area of interest. I love it. So do you consider precision medicine different than functional medicine? How, how would you define precision medicine for people that don't know? Well, when we're, when, I'm, when we're talking about precision medicine, the workup and the types of tests that you order are very, you know, sophisticated level of tests looking at, you know, your health on a much deeper level. And when I say sophisticated, that doesn't necessarily have to imply like super expensive either. I think sometimes people just kind of default think that, oh, he's talking about something super expensive. That's not for me, but that's not necessarily what we're talking about. What we're talking about is using uh, the technology that we have to get some highly uh, detailed information on you. And uh, some of these tests are pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. The difference is that anybody could order these kinds of tests, but putting it together in a with a functional or integrative mindset is a totally different thing Mm -hmm. because you could get, let's just make something up, a a genetic test uh, about, you know, you might have higher LDL levels. And so Mm -hmm. a doctor might say, oh, well, let's just put you on Lipitor straight off, you know, or some cholesterol lowering medication because Mm -hmm. that's what you're going to need. But instead, uh, I will put together, you know, kind of an integrative or functional approach to that, you know, talking about lifestyle, talking about diet, closely monitoring those levels and things like that. I mean, if people need medication because they have a problem, then obviously I'm not allergic to that because I am an internist, uh, you know, at, at the root of everything. But we try to avoid those kind of things uh, at, at all uh, costs because 
at the end of the day, the functional or integrative approach, as you know very well, is is the best one because you're really looking at what the patient needs and and what's going to be best for them in the long run, not just to solve your five minute problem, uh, you know, in your office visit. Yeah, well said. So can we go back to those labs that you mentioned that aren't always expensive, that what are some of those simple tests that they wouldn't necessarily know to get, or they wouldn't even be ran in a conventional setting, but they would be getting from a precision medicine expert like yourself? One of the things that I like that is, you know, reasonably cost, uh, you know, the, the expense isn't too much, is a nutritional genetics panel. And, you know, this might cost around 250 bucks. So, I mean, it's not, nothing's going to be free, but, you know, it's not $2,000 either. So, you know, a couple hundred bucks is, uh, you know, to look into your health and optimize your diet is, to me, I don't think it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. That's a test where you can get an idea of, it's very simple, you know, these are saliva-based tests and you can find out, you know, what your genetic risks are for certain deficiencies for vitamins. Um, do you have an MTHFR mutation? Um, are you, uh, what, what uh, kind of genetics uh, do you have that would support a particular exercise plan? So some people um, are genetically pre-programmed to excel in endurance sports and some in weightlifting sports. And, you know, they're very, there's uh, the panel that I use has got like 70 different things that they check for. So those mm-hmm. are just a couple examples you know, uh, another, a couple of really important ones that people wouldn't think about are some people have, you know, a genetic mutation that might predispose them to hypertension if they, or high blood pressure, if they, um, have too much salt in their diet. So you can already try to modify that risk factor. Yeah. One of the ones that I have, uh, that is, uh, not a fun one because I love coffee, um, is uh, the the gene for caffeine metabolism. Yeah. And so some people are fast metabolizers, meaning they chew up the caffeine quickly and others are slow. I happen to be a slow uh, metabolizer. So that means that if I drink more than two cups of coffee, which is like around 200 milligrams of caffeine, mm-hmm. that I have a higher risk for a heart attack and, and high blood pressure. So even though I like it, I modified that you know part of my morning routine to just kind of take it easy on the coffee. So that's an example. And then, you know, some of these gut tests looking at the microbiome have uh, really improved over time as far as cost too. You can get uh, some for that same range uh, as well and really get an idea of what's going on in your, in your microbiome so that you can make some targeted decisions on what maneuvers to make next. And sometimes even just a simple cholesterol panel uh, or NMR lipid panel yes. is covered by insurance can be helpful. There, there are a lot of people who don't do any tests at all. So, you know, in that person, a CRP and a cholesterol panel and a CBC, which is all covered by your insurance might be a great start to precision medicine because precision medicine doesn't mean fancy, expensive tests. We can do fancy tests and some of them may cost more. If you want to sequence your whole genome, it might cost $2,000, but Mm -hmm. we don't have to. Precision medicine really means to me looking at your body mm-hmm. and what's inside and what's going on and making a plan that works for you. I love that. Really trying to focus away from like, you know, following what your friend is doing or, you know, your neighbor's doing as we hear that all the time, right? Oh, well, my neighbor, I'm taking this medicine mm-hmm. or this supplement because yeah. my friend said I should take it. I'm like, well, you know, 
that's not going to really work for you because you, you, you got something else going on. So right. really focusing on yourself and the book that I'm writing, I call it own your health. So it's really, that's really the philosophy of it. We want you to own your health, take control over your health. Cause that's what I did to myself through my journey. Mm -hmm. um, and it really changed my life. This episode is brought to you by public goods, the one-stop shop for sustainable, high quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Rather than buying from a bunch of single product brands, Public Goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place with one beautiful, streamlined aesthetic. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly and innovative products. We use their cleaning products at the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center. I use it in my home. Love it so much. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives still common on drug and grocery store shelves, sadly. They are committed to making their products super healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. Knowing what's in your products and where they come from is super important. Small changes in the way we shop can make a big impact on personal health and the health of the world at large. They use a membership model to keep costs low and pass on even more savings to their customers. Best of all, you can make your first purchase with no obligation. They plant one tree for every order placed and incorporate sustainability into every part of the company which I really love. Join hundreds of thousands of others who have switched to their new everything store. We worked out an awesome deal just for the Art of Being Well listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident you will freaking absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase as you like. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com slash Will Cole or use code Will Cole at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S.com forward slash Will Cole to receive $15 off your first order. Healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. It makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat. Both need to be replaced to prevent muscle cramps, headaches, and energy dips that result from dehydration and low electrolytes, which is a lot more common than dehydration, actually. But most people only replace the water. Why? Because since the 1940s, we've been told to drink eight glasses of water per day, thirsty or not. Drinking beyond thirst isn't a good idea. Thirst is the signal your brain generates from constantly measuring blood volume. When you need more fluids, you get thirsty. But when you drink plain water beyond thirst, it dilutes blood electrolyte levels, especially sodium levels, and leads to nasty consequences. The consequences are headaches, low energy, cramps, confusion, brain fog, or worse. Unfortunately, since low sodium symptoms mimic dehydration symptoms, people often get confused and drink more water. This only exacerbates the problem. 
When low sodium gets serious, it's called hyponatremia. Hyponatremia is super common in endurance athletes. Sometimes it can be fatal. So we have a hydration problem on our hands. The solution isn't to stop drinking water though. It's to drink water plus electrolytes. Enter Element Recharge. Just mix this flavorful electrolyte drink mix into your water bottle and you're good to go. No carbs, no sugar, or artificial junk in Element. Just electrolytes and great taste. They also formulated Element to please your palate. They taste so good. Try orange salt, citrus salt, or experiment with five other flavors. The newest is watermelon salt, a classic flavor combo. As a member of our community, Element has a very special offer for you. You can claim your free Element sample pack. You have to check this out. They taste so good and they are so effective. You only cover the cost of shipping. Just go to drinkelement.com slash artofbeingwell. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash artofbeingwell. It's my go-to electrolyte drink. I have it every day. Check it out. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Kotz. And I'm Stephanie Sambari, and we are the hosts of That's So Retrograde. Heard of us? For the past 200 and some episodes, we've been trying to figure out what the hell wellness is. We have inspiring and fun conversations with all types of amazing people, from healers to comedians to whatever's in between. We're five years in, but we're just getting started. So hop on board every Thursday to join the party and route to living your best life. And don't forget your cannabis. Or to check us out on Instagram at So Retrograde. That's right. Bye. See you there. So having agency over your health is paramount. And I love that's such a central part of your mission. And it's why I've been such a fan of yours over the years, just the work that you're doing. I'm going back to the, the caffeine gene, that's the CYP1A2 gene variant, right? It's I'm a fast metabolizer of it. So I have this big, like 40 you ounce like, coffee. black tea right now. <laughs> I'm more of a tea drinker, but <laughs> I, I probably have, have a heart attack if I drank that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny. I mean, that's the heart of what we do. It's bio-individuality, right? And I, amazing thing, and the fast metabolizers of caffeine, like you said, like the more that you drink, there's studies show that actually the cardioprotective, the beneficial things, the antioxidants, all the polyphenols that you get from tea and coffee, you tap into and leverage. But the slow metabolizers, like, like you said, it's, it's not something we're all different. And even something as innocuous as a cup of tea or a cup of coffee can vary from person to person. And I, I like your, your message of being comprehensive but without being excessive or being like what's being thorough without just being flippant with, with labs. Yeah. We do whatever is best for the person, you know, uh, if they want to pace themselves and want to do one test today and maybe another in six months, because that's more efficient for them than yeah. do whatever, you know, whatever they need. But the point is to do something. Cause one of my mottos is if you don't know, then you don't know. So, you know, right. it sounds like a really silly, simple thing to say, but yeah. it's the truth. You know, even, even with colon cancer screening, you know, a simple colonoscopy, you know, people might say, well, I feel fine. So I don't have colon cancer. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I've done a colonoscopy on somebody when they said that, and they have a colon cancer. So if you don't know, you don't know. So, you know, it's it's best to find out. Right. We have to know what we're dealing with to do something about, about it. And many people, like you said, like if catching things early and being proactive you're not going to have symptoms many times. Most of the time you won't have obvious things. And that's why being preventative whenever you can makes sense. 
So speaking of colonoscopies, when do you, as a gastroenterologist, <laughs> when do you recommend, like when should we be getting these things and who should be getting them? Well, anytime you have a symptom that is an important symptom, uh, like you're losing weight or you're seeing blood in the stool or, you know, there's unexplained abdominal pain or you're changing your bowel habits, it doesn't matter how old you are. Um, you may need a colonoscopy because you could have something like ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease or something else going on. But outside of that, if we're just talking about colon cancer screening, generally we had we had been you know the the rule of thumb is at age fifty unless you have a family history. Although the American Cancer Society recently started suggesting age forty five for all people. Before age forty five was really reserved for the African American population because of the higher risk of getting colon polyps at an earlier age. But uh, the American Cancer Society came on board with H45, and so did the uh, U.S. uh, Preventive Task Force, uh, actually probably just a month or two ago, suggested that as well. Now, the big thing that has to happen is that Medicare has to buy into that so that all the other payers can start paying for it. it. It's one thing for our societies to say that you need to do this, but unfortunately, this is the world we live in, in the United States at least, that... It doesn't matter necessarily what somebody suggests or what experts suggest. It matters what people want to pay for or what these organizations want to pay for. So hopefully I don't get a hit on me from Medicare after saying that, but it's the truth. I mean, when the U.S. Preventive Task Force came out with a recommendation, I I asked my manager, I said, okay, so can we start telling people at age 45, we're going to do their colonoscopy? And uh, she said, we can tell them and we can try, but it might not happen because some may be okay and some may not be okay. So we're not there yet. But if you have a family history, say you came to me and said that my mom had colon cancer at age 55, Mm -hmm. Um, 60 is kind of our cutoff for thinking about somebody has a family history or not. Mm -hmm. Then I would say we need to start at age 40. So if you have a first degree relative, that's like mom, dad, brother, sister, who had colon cancer or a precancerous um, larger size polyp under the age of 60, then we start at age 40 instead of age 50 for colon cancer screening. Or it could even be 10 years before that. So if you say my mom had colon cancer and she was 40 when she got it, then you would start at 30. Wow. Okay. So to be preventative with these measures, to support gut health, um, to do everything we can to decrease risk factors for all types of GI issues, whether it be cancer or like you said, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, IBS. I mean, there's a whole spectrum of these GI issues, right? I mean, many people I find when I'm talking to them, they're like, oh yeah, I'm fine. And they're not going to the bathroom every day, or they, they just think they're symptoms or the way that they go to the bathroom, they think that that's just because it's common, they equate that with being normal uh, because it's not extreme. And they just think they don't, they're not talking about it with anybody. Do you find that to be the case too? What people consider normal isn't actually clinically normal? Yeah. uh, All the time. I mean, you know, what we, what we don't want is to wait until you have that extreme symptom, because that's the problem. If we're talking about cancer in particular, that's, really probably the worst time to seek care because that would, you know, imply uh, most likely statistically, if you look at a bunch of patients, those who wait until they have some severe symptom, like, okay, well, I've been having bleeding for six months now and I lost 20 pounds in the last three months. The chances that your condition is advanced at the time it's diagnosed goes up a lot higher. And that's bad because 
that means that the treatment options might be less. You know, if you get something like, uh, if we're talking about colon cancer at an early stage, whether it's just cancer inside of a polyp or it's just a, a, an early cancer sitting there in the colon, it could be removed and you wouldn't need any chemo. You wouldn't need any radiation. You wouldn't need anything like that mm-hmm. um, if it hasn't spread anywhere. So there's a huge difference between between that. And and I I we can use that example for the whole precision medicine talk as well. Just kind of loop that back in because it's the same concept. You might not feel like you have diabetes. You might not feel like you have heart disease, but you know there are so many asymptomatic people walking around there that they wouldn't know if they didn't look. You know, mm-hmm. you may get a CT coronary calcium score, which is a low dose CAT scan of your coronaries basically, and find out that you have moderate amount of calcium burden, or you may do um, a body composition score and look at your visceral adipose tissue, which is the amount of fat inside of your body, not on the outside. And you may find that, wow, I have like this crazy, ridiculous amount of internal fat, uh, which is actually a higher risk factor than measuring your BMI, which is based on your height and weight. Or you may find that your hemoglobin A1C is eight and it should be five, you Mm -hmm. know? So these are basically biochemical early changes that we can see in the body if we check that you may not see physically until there's a, a major problem and then you have a lot of work to do. And at that point, you may actually need medications in order to rapidly control the situation. So that's why prevention and integrative medicine approaches are really the best because if you find out that your blood sugar is running high or your cholesterol is running high or you know you have a risk factor for heart disease and you make an intervention with a lot of lifestyle choices and key supplements early on, you may prevent yourself from having that heart attack. How many people have you seen that are skinny guys who are exercising and running and they look like health nuts, but then they have a heart attack? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the, and, and when we run labs on these guys that think, I'm okay, I'm just going for uh, a checkup, a routine checkup, and you run it in their lipid panel, like you mentioned, the NMR test, the subfractionation of particles, it's horrible. Yeah. You don't, I mean, these things are silent killers. They're called silent killers for a reason. So it's good to be proactive about your health. And part of being proactive with your health is our bowel movements and, and a, and a, good check engine light in a way, not always, <laughs> but I want to go, want to go there, Dr. Yeah, Singh. Let's do uh, it. <laughs> let's talk about the Bristol chart, shed some light on the Bristol chart. People should be checking the toilet afterwards. What is normal? What is not normal? And like what, depending on where they're at on the Bristol chart spectrum, what is, what could that indicate? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I tell everybody is that the gut is the tattletale for the body. I love that. And I thought of that, I don't know, it was probably a couple of years ago. And I was yeah. thinking, you know, I was like, the gut really is the tattletale to the body. It's it's one clue that we should listen to that we may dismiss easily. Like, oh, well, my bowels are always like that, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, I, I hear people say that all the time. And really, if your bowels are off, then that should be a clue to not only address that, but you know, use that as a clue to look if there are other things going on in your body as well. And one of the best analogies uh, or examples that I heard that I often reiterate, and I'll give credit to Terry Walls, as I heard her give a lecture once a few years ago and at one of the conferences, and she says, well, if you, if you go to the bathroom, if you have a bowel movement and 
and the water splashes back up at you, then you know that you didn't have enough fiber in your diet. And so <laughs> that's my poor man's Bristol scale, basically. <laughs> we want soft, nice, well-formed, um, bulky bowel movements so that when they pass, uh, they're seamless and it goes into the water without any problem. And it looks like, you know, what we would consider kind of a normal stool. We don't mm -hmm. want it too hard and lumpy, which is on one end of the Bristol stool scale. And we don't want it watery or extremely mushy, which is on the other end of the Bristol stool scale. So somewhere, you know, in between that, where you have a nice, well-formed uh, bowel movement. And if it splashes you on the way down, then uh, that's a clue that something, something needs to be fixed. <laughs> right. I love that Dr. Walls, a mutual friend and colleague of us, my poop references come from her too. Do they really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so funny. I didn't know that you had, you said that. But I, I say, well, I'm from Terry. I've been saying this for years and this is how she, it's like perfect image. One to two snakes a day. If you're not having <laughs> one to two snakes a day, check yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Something going on. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, there are a lot of people out there who will have like one bowel movement every three days and they've been like that for a while and they don't even tell you about that. They're there to, uh, you know, coming, Hey, I'm coming to see you because I have autoimmune disease and right. you're the gut guy and I want to <laughs> fix my gut. Uh, but my bowel movements are fine. I always just have one bowel movement every three days. You're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Well, there's the, the first clue there, mm -hmm. you know, and if, it, if things happen so often over a period of time, then that becomes normal to that mm -hmm. person. So it's not like they're to blame or anything like that. They think that's normal to them, but that's actually, uh, it's actually a kind of an interesting clue. If you look back and say, well, when did this bowel pattern happen? Well, it happened when I left college uh, or it, ha it was like that since I was seven years old, I think, you know, it kind of gives you an idea of how deep these changes uh, or imbalances in the microbiome uh, are and where they come from. Because mm -hmm. when you understand that, then you can start talking about that period of their time as much as they can recall, you know, was there some particular stressor? Was there some exposure? What was your living environment like? Give me an idea of what your diet was like at that time and how that changed over your life. You can kind of tease things out and that's the integrative functional approach to health as well too. What's good for nature is what's good for our bodies, which is why Foria's products are always organic, plant-based, and sustainably sourced. Did you know that 80% of women don't reach orgasm through sex or penetration alone? I talk about it with patients all the time, and this is something that not enough people talk about. Let's normalize it. This is part of health, and Foria is on a mission to close the pleasure gap. Foria was the first brand to create an all-natural product line addressing sexual pleasure for women and people with vulvas. Sexual intimacy is good for you and invokes our joy, nurtures our inner well-being, and gives you that glow inside and out. Sexual pleasure is self-care, supporting quality sleep, boosting your mood, enhancing your immune system, and connecting us to our bodies. Too many women and people with vulvas experience sexual pain or discomfort, 75% of people actually. In addition to organic broad spectrum CBD, Foria's intimacy line uses all natural botanicals like kava to make sex more comfortable by relieving tension and discomfort. Something that my patients really love is their awaken arousal oil. 
Product benefits include bigger and better and more memorable orgasms, enhanced arousal and increased sexual pleasure and relaxation and lubrication. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash willcole or use code willcole at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash Will Cole for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil. You'll thank me later. Obviously, the first step, one of the first steps that people should consider if they are, if they're noticing these things, these telltale signs that something's not right, they're not having one to two snakes a day, if they are having splashing going on, what are some things that people could start doing beyond labs, of course, would give us a good objective baseline, but barring labs, what can they start doing today on their own to start improving their gut health, supporting gut health? Some of the best medicines are not medicines. <laughs> so that's one thing that I always uh, underscore uh, every time I speak and every time I, I talk to patients is that do not underestimate the importance or value of lifestyle changes. Mm. And, you know, I've written book chapters on this topic because I, I became so fascinated early on that a lot of these things that we talk about, um, which I'll go into, actually can cause or influence changes in your microbiome. And that may be where a lot of our other health problems come from. So as an example, sleep is an important thing. We all talk about, oh, you should sleep. And people may say, yeah, I know I need to sleep better. But why do you need to sleep better? Because when our circadian rhythms are altered, our microbiome gets altered. So we've seen that in some of the microbiome literature that when your circadian rhythms are off, then you may have changes in your microbiome that are similar to those of people who have inflammation and obesity and problems losing weight. So when we hear people saying, well, you need to sleep better because it'll help you lose weight, there's a reason for that. And that's, that's where the part of this core reason may be coming from. Same thing as far as looking at the kind of beauty products you use or um, the type of clothes you wear or the type of furniture you buy. I mean, there's only so far you can go as far as toxic burden, but understanding these and knowing that you have a choice often in the kind of thing that you use or buy can be helpful because these chemicals that we're exposed to, whether they're uh, you know, physical chemicals we're putting on our body or we're ingesting or we're inhaling on an ongoing basis can also actually impact the microbiome. And before I get too further, you know, it's not necessarily that, oh, well, the paint that the guys put on my house when I moved into the house wasn't VOC free paint. So is that why I have diabetes? No, that's not why you have diabetes, but that might have been one of the drops in the bucket. In addition to many other things that you have been accumulating over time, mm -hmm. that might've been enough stress on the body that the body said, that's it. I'm out. You got diabetes, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> these are easy things that we can modify if we know about them. And the more things you modify, the more points you get on your side that you can help influence your overall health. And so I tell people that just like your health can snowball out of control, it can snowball into control as well. If you start getting rid of these drops in the bucket. So we talked about sleep, we talked about toxins, 
Um, stress is a big thing. So, you know, simple um, mindfulness practice, uh, even if it's just doing some breath work for a couple minutes a day to start off, making it longer as time goes by and your comfort level increases, this can substantially improve your gut health. You know, we have uh, literature that would suggest that when people are constantly stressed, the good bacteria that are in our microbiome can actually become bad bacteria. Mm -hmm. What we would say in in medical terms is that non-pathogenic bacteria can become pathogenic. This is such a fascinating thing to me. I mean, basically, uh, when you have all these stress hormones and chemicals released in the gut, it's what we call a quorum sensing type event. So mm. basically, if you want to think in simple terms, it's like when you when you ha- want to have a meeting, when Congress has to meet, they have to have a quorum in order to vote on something. What it does is basically call to order. So all the microbes come to the table mm. and uh, the bad guys may say, hey, hey, nice little innocent guy. You want to be a bad guy like me? I'm cool. I have a nice leather jacket. I look like a cool guy. I'm the popular guy in town. You want to be like me? And they may say, okay, sure, I'll be like you. And then they just exchange genetic material and boom, now a good guy becomes a bad guy. Yeah. And when that happens on an ongoing basis every day without any intervention that would basically halt that process, this is a place where imbalance can occur because you're tipping the scale. And then if you're not sleeping well and you're, you know, using uh, low quality products and your diet is really bad and you're not having fun, enjoying life and laughing and exercising and doing all those things that we need to do, then you really feel like, you know, your health is completely out of control. And sometimes the funnest patients that I have are those that I don't have to give one single thing to, not even a supplement. I just talk to them about lifestyle changes and changing their diet and reducing their stress and exercising and hydrating and all these very simple things that cost really no money um, Mm -hmm. outside of food because, but you have to eat anyway. So, you know, that's just, that's a standard cost. (laughs) Um, And you can see such miraculous changes in their health just with some simple things like that. Well said, very well said. You're right. The research around the crosstalk and the communication basically of the microbiome is fascinating. We fascinating. are just scratching the surface of what this, I mean, for people that are newer to this, I mean, what Dr. Singh is saying is we have these trillions of bacteria in our gut and they all communicate. So this quorum sensing and the, this communication amongst these colonies, these neighborhoods of bacteria. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's profound. Something that popped in my mind, I'm curious to get your thoughts on is helminthic therapy and the, like worm theory therapy that's kind of emerging. It's not like basic clinical practice in the States, but it's something that I've written about and looked at the research. Do you have an opinion on homenthic therapy at all? Well, it was, uh, you know, kind of uh, in vogue or being talked about more in uh, inflammatory bowel disease several years back. I'm not really sure the data is that telling in as far as actually creating a change. Mm -hmm. Um, But the concept or principle, if you dial it back, is what is the point, right? Right. The point is manipulating the microbiome to get an outcome. And you can take that concept of helminthic therapy and also talk about fecal transplant at the same token as well, because that's also a major manipulation of the microbiome. Just like taking herbs, you know, to uh, alter dysbiosis and things like that as well. What we're trying to do basically is take that imbalance and 
mold it so that it is less imbalanced uh, so that we have a basis to improve the underlying problem. So when we're trying to get at root cause and addressing mm-hmm. root cause of something, these are some of the concepts that some people use. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think microbiome science is so really fresh. I mean, it's uh, we've known about the microbiome for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always uh, tell people recently, I did a PubMed search, which is like Google for doctors to look up science literatures, uh, articles. And I just typed in gut microbiome because I was curious. Yeah. And it was like, I think 25, 26,000 hits on the yeah. search. And then I took the date range and I took it from 20 years and I made it the last three years from 2017 uh, to 2020. Mm-hmm. And it was like 16,000. So of all the science that we've had on the microbiome, right. a majority of that science has happened in the last several years. Right. And so we're really trying to figure out exactly what the best manipulations are to accomplish different things. I don't think we know yet, but these, the helminthic therapy was an example of one of those mm-hmm. ideas where, well, what if we change the microbiome? We could alter inflammation. Maybe we can alter the outcome of something. I think the problem, which is also the fascination about things, is that we're all so different. My microbiome and your microbiome, even if we ate identical diets and had identical lifestyles, are going to be different. We're only like 10, 20% similar in our microbiome. And that's why it is so hard to say, well, everybody should do this because that's good for everybody. Everybody should do helminthic therapy because that makes your microbiome balanced or everybody should get a fecal transplant or even everybody should take a probiotic. You know, That's just not something that is able to be suggested uh, mm-hmm. as universal recommendations because everybody's so different. So that's why this personalized approach is really important. And there are some basic principles that all of us as human beings really should, uh, will need, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if you get two different kinds of cars, you get a, a, a Porsche and a Ferrari and a Honda, right? All three of these cars need a motor to run. They need an engine. They, they mm-hmm. need oil. They need gasoline. So there are some basic concepts, uh, principles of a car that are different, but each one of those cars has a different maintenance program, needs specific kinds of things as, you know, very personalized kind of parts. And so that's, that, that's where the difference is. You can't take the recommendations from a, a Honda mechanic and apply that to your Ferrari and think your Ferrari is going to run like a Ferrari should run. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Yeah. I mean, going back to the helminthic stuff for people that don't know, helminthic therapy basically is non-pathogenic worm therapy. You're giving yourself worms, super weird, but there's emerging science that looks at the mechanisms of, like Dr. Singh was saying, balancing the microbiome. Same with fecal transplants. I've talked about the studies at drwillcole.com if people want to look at that or PubMed or anywhere else you want to look at these, these studies. So what are some of these core things you mentioned like the engine and, and the, the the fuel like what are the the, the food stuff i want to know about what are some good food things that dr singh recommends for people no matter who they are what are some fundamental stuff that people should start doing if they aren't already some fundamental stuff is really plant-based foods i think you know uh now we can adjust the diet for whatever person's particular issues are whether it's their digestive issues 
and I'm not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not a vegan proponent that you, everybody must eat vegan. It must be only vegetables. I am a proponent of you as a person, whatever's best for you, Mm -hmm. but regardless of what your primary diet style is, I believe that people need to have these kinds of foods in their diet because these kinds of foods are medicines in and of themselves. If you actually look at the supplements that a lot of us take, or even the medicines that a lot of us take, even chemotherapy treatments for certain cancers, they come from plants. They come from natural living things like that. And so, you know, uh, plant nutrients can be very impactful. Um, not only as the nutrient themselves, but also when the microbes digest these nutrients, they produce short-chain fatty acids. And short-chain fatty acids, uh, a good example of one is called butyrate that a lot of people may know about. Yeah, And it's a very anti-inflammatory compound. In fact, sometimes we give butyrate to people as a treatment. Yeah. So, you know, it's effective. Um, uh, even in the conventional world, uh, when people have colitis, uh, particular kinds of colitis that don't respond to treatment as well, they give short chain fatty acid enemas. So, you know, uh, there are elements of the conventional practice of things that kind of overlap here, maybe for a different mindset or different thought process, but it's, it's the same concept as. Right. Uh, butyrate short chain fatty acids being helpful in influencing somebody's inflammation levels in the gut. And these plant nutrients can be effective at preventing, you know, infections by, you know, pathogenic organisms. They can help reduce inflammation. They can help balance your, you know, lipid levels and things like that. So I, I believe that uh, people should have a good amount of plants in the diet mm-hmm. and the, um, you know, there's a lot of literature, conventional or, or integrative that suggest, you know, if you have yeah, at least uh, four or five vegetables uh, and fruits in your diet on a daily basis that your risk for all-cause mortality goes down. All-cause mortality means death from any reason, you know. And uh, I don't know how much more evidence you need uh, than that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. I agree with you. I think that the average person that is very clear in the research as far as creating, supporting microbiome diversity and the production of healthy balanced short chain fatty acids. What do you, we can go back to more stuff too, but I'm curious on the fiber topic Mm -hmm. and you think like fiber, right? It's, that should be the least polarizing topic ever in health and wellness, but for we like to, to have debates about everything in health and yeah. wellness, but fiber specifically, and I'm sure you see this too, that people that are not the majority of people, so we're talking about very specific types of people and context matters here, but from a clinical standpoint, what do you think of people who are having at this point, like autoimmune flares from some plant fibers, or maybe not all plant fibers, but certain ones. What do you say to the person out there that that they have a, a messed up gut, for lack of better words? They have dysbiosis, they have SIBO, they have inflammation going in the gut, and their body's reacting to everything. But a lot of it's centered mm-hmm. around plant fibers. So I find that there's a certain sect of people, and probably some people that are listening, that are like, oh, yeah, they know they need to get more plants in their diet, but they have to get there. They're not there yet, and their body's exactly. reacting to a lot of things. What would you say to somebody in that spot? Yeah, exactly. And, and I, you know, uh, uh, I'm pretty transparent. I've had patients who say that the only thing that helps them sometimes is when they 
just eat meat only for a period of time and they go Mm -hmm. carnivore. So uh, I've seen that in my practice as well, but there's a difference between using a diet technique or style to accomplish a goal and how you want to live your life for the rest of your life. Yes. Because So one of the sayings that uh, I'm, I'm a king of analogies and saying, so if it's getting a little corny, just let me know. But I'm here one, for of the, <laughs> one of the other things that I say is we have to get you there in order to keep you there. These are simple sayings, right? But if you're having a problem and it's related to your gut and as a result of that, you're not having a good time eating certain kinds of plants or foods, then let's do whatever it takes so that you can eat and stay nourished and support your nutrition levels and not necessarily worry about all of that, you know, specifics of this plant I have to eat today and this vegetable and that vegetable. Let's fix your gut, fix your underlying problems so that we can get it to the point where you can liberalize your diet so you can eat more, you can eat different things. At the end of the day, our microbes want a diverse diet. They don't want you to eat the same thing every day even if it's a vegetable. If, if you say, I'm going to eat broccoli every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and um, I'm going to be a vegan, therefore, that's not good because you're only going to get microbes that digest that kind of a food. And it's going to be a bland microbiome. And you're still going to be susceptible to having problems because the microbiome is not strong. So every it's a case-by-case case, uh, situation. So if somebody feels that they need a particular type of diet style, in order to get them through something, then fine. You know, your Mm -hmm. body is the best doctor, not me, not you. Mm -hmm. Your body is the best doctor. Just like I said, the gut is the tattletale for your body. That your, Your body is telling you what you need. Let's do that so that you can not be miserable. Let's treat the underlying problem and then try to make it so that you can liberalize your diet. So we have to get you there for keep you there. And uh, a lot of people think that, you know, the diet is... I'm going to pick this way and this is how I'm going to eat forever. And even if it's a healthy style of diet, mm-hmm. I have seen people that do great on a ketogenic diet. And then at some point that falls off and then they have to change maybe more Mediterranean style diet or do something else for a period of time. Your microbiome is shifting and changing because you're alive. The microbiome is not static. It's so what you check today, what you do today in 10 years, isn't necessarily going to be the same thing. And maybe we don't want it to be because we want to keep that resiliency. We want to keep that that diversity in the microbiome. So if things are changing in your body, listen to that and adjust accordingly. Because I actually don't even like the term diet because diet implies that this is a fixed routine. This Mm -hmm. is your diet. You have to eat this. Well, it's really an eating style. And this can evolve with you over time as well. Beautifully said. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, we are cut from the same cloth, Dr. Singh, for sure. <laughs> uh, uh, so let's talk about Own Your Health. I want to talk about this concept. It's your newest book. What's the genesis of it? Where, where did it come about? Well, I think um, uh, when I went through my health journey, I was doing integrative medicine training and I started learning about precision testing and I did these nutritional genetics stuff uh, that we were talking about earlier on myself and started checking myself for toxins and looking at, I did a bunch of different microbiome tests, obviously, because that's an area of interest of mine, food sensitivity testing, all these things I did on myself. And I started making adjustments and, you know, started seeing the weight come off, started seeing my heartburn go away, started seeing my, you know, I had fatty liver, my liver enzymes were in the 300, starting to see that kind of normalize. 
and then adding in meditation and better sleep hygiene and then seeing the acceleration of uh, my improvement when these things are added in as well. I think I just sat there and I said, wow, I actually feel like I am in charge. I have control. I'm the CEO of my body. I, I own my health. And mm-hmm. I think that just kind of stuck with me. And uh, when when I decided, let's write a book so that we can tell people that they have the ability to take control of their health and life, just like I have, and just like thousands of my patients have, that seemed to be the most appropriate title, I thought. <laughs> I love it. So what Give us a sneak peek. Obviously, they can read the book for all the, the details, but what, what's uh, a sneak peek about in your health? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things we talk about is the importance of uh, precision medicine. And I think precision medicine is really a game changer in how we define health. In fact, this is how we're going to be practicing medicine in years to come. I think no matter what anybody likes or says, it's, this is the way it's going to be mm-hmm. because that's the way science is evolving. And therapies are being targeted towards specific issues that are on a genetic and microbiome level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole concept uh, premise that we talk about in the book is about how we can use some of this testing now to find out what's good for you, not just what's good for the general population. When you look at you know, studies on a particular topic, they may say, well, you know, in order to prevent Alzheimer's disease, people did this. Well, this is based on that population that was studied in that study. Mm-hmm. Um, let's find out what your specific issues are and modify them, you know, understanding the concepts of Alzheimer's disease. Let's find out what your true risk is, because if you have a we can use Alzheimer's. That's a good, that's a good one. You could do a gene test and find out that you have a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. If somebody just got that in isolation, they might freak out. But if you couple that together with looking at all the inflammatory risk factors that can, you know, uh, accelerate this process and then in addition, look at brain imaging where you're looking at the hippocampal volumes in the brain and then giving yourself a personalized risk, you may find that your risk of 25% may actually be more like 8% and Mm. you can be more relaxed living your life and still take those preventive measures. So the book is really helping you understand what some of these things are that we can test and showing you how you can actually make an intervention. And the funnest part of the book is the middle part of the book where, you know, in the beginning of books that uh, all of us write, we go into the science and talk about the tests and why they're good and those kind of things. And then the application is in, in the second part of the book where I go through real life patients that I've taken care of and shown how they came in with this problem. And we went through these kinds of tests and we made these interventions based on these tests. And this is what happened to them. And so that's really the premise of the book. And that's the premise of my practice. So um, I love it. I, you know, uh, precision medicine is our ticket to better health for longer. And that's really another one of my um, sayings and mottos that I have. It's true. Well, it's the truth. I mean, these are things that are true. I and mean, when you are immersed in it, like you are, and like I am just seeing these things on an hourly basis, people love case studies too. People like to see, okay, what's like the real life? How do we do this in real life? What's actually done to get people feeling better? I think that was so, such a smart move to put it in the book because it's ins- inspiring and it's putting all that experience that you have out there so people can 
can learn it for themselves and better their life. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I want to be one of the advocates for is that uh, we were talking about in the beginning of the, of this uh, uh, conversation is that mm-hmm. don't wait until you have a problem because when you have a problem, then everything that you have to do to fix that problem might be a lot more complicated. If you know today that you have risk factors for a particular kind of cancer and you don't have the cancer, that's the best scenario because then you can take interventions and closely monitor that one specific thing so that if you do end up developing that cancer, then you can make an intervention before it even does anything to you. Yeah, very well said. I call the show The Art of Being Well, and this is something that you and I both do. It's this duality of of precision medicine, of functional medicine, of just getting people healthy, the science and the art. And I think the art in many ways is like the case study in your book where it's, it's how do we apply the science in a way that's meaningful, in a way that's sustainable, in a way that's realistic for each individual. And like you said, there's so much diversity, there's so much uniqueness, and that's why you advocate for precision medicine. So this is right up your alley. As the expert in your field, what is one piece of wisdom that you wish you knew 20 years ago that you know now about the art of being well? I think one of the best pieces of advice is that getting healthy or well doesn't have to be considered hard work or something that's not fun. I think when people go to the doctor and they get the lecture talk about diet and exercise, you might kind of by default think that I'm being punished. I'm being told that I have to do this or that. And it doesn't have to be a punishment. This can actually be the most fun part of your life is learning about new things, seeing how it impacts your body, trying new foods, just go to the grocery store and pick something that you've never tried before, that you would never have tried before, like jackfruit, for example, or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. It can be really fun and you can learn a lot about your body and health as a result of that and do a lot of good for yourself. So just remember that getting well doesn't have to be an arduous process. It can actually be a very fun and enlightening process. Beautifully stated. Dr. Marvin saying, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for being such an advocate for me, uh, 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 just an encourager of me and a supporter of my work. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'm glad I had the chance to speak with you today. What a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you want to learn more about Dr. Marvin Singh's work, you can check it all out at drmarvinsingh.com. D-R-M-A-R-V-I-N. S-I-N-G-H dot com. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Alice. Alice asks, hi, Dr. Cole. I know Lyme disease is really hard to catch on a lab. What labs do you recommend for someone that's suspecting that they have Lyme disease? Great question, Alice. And you're right. It's very hard to detect on labs, but 
We run the best labs that are available in healthcare, in functional medicine, and it's something that I specifically specialize in because I'm dealing a lot with people with chronic inflammatory problems, autoimmune issues, fatigue issues, and we know that Lyme disease is one potential trigger for these issues for some people. So based off of a comprehensive health history and just really a clinical due diligence, we can run the appropriate labs if it's clinically relevant. So we run the conventional labs and I I run the conventional labs because I have to look at that, uh, but I know I can't hang my hat on that test alone. It's, It's not as comprehensive as we can get. So I wanna do a little bit more digging on that one snapshot in time because this can be missed so much. And just a little bit of a side note here, I'm going to do a deep dive episode very soon. So um, on this topic of Lyme disease and co-infections and a functional medicine approach to this, so stay tuned. But for now, just to answer your question, I will talk about the labs. So we run the ELISA test, the Western blot labs, the conventional Lyme antibody tests, of course. But in functional medicine and any Lyme literate doctor, what we would run is a CD57 which is an immune lab that it's been shown in the research that Lyme bacteria and different tick-borne and insect-borne chronic infections like Lyme disease and Babesia and Bartonella can suppress CD57. So a low CD57 can be indicative of of Lyme disease or chronic Lyme or some sort of insect-borne problem like this. Another lab that I run for patients is C4A and C3A. And there are other things that can skew these numbers. So this is not definitive by itself, but there are at least pointers in addition to other labs that can give us greater context into what the immune system's doing and what may be causing the immune system to do what it's doing. Another two labs that we would run in functional medicine and in the Lyme literate world are more advanced comprehensive tests like the Armin test and Igenix. Armin and Igenix or IGX are two very comprehensive tick-borne, insect-borne array panels that we can get a really thorough, comprehensive deep dive into different aspects into how this bacteria like Borrelia burgdorferi or Babesia, Bartonella, these co-infections, how they can interplay. So we're not just looking at one piece of the puzzle, like more of the conventional tests. We're getting a more comprehensive view of it, which is very clinically helpful for me to figure out what's going on so we can do something about it. So those are some labs that we look at. We look at everything together. We have to look at the bioterrain, if you will, on what's even causing this pathogen to trigger the inflammation and trigger the symptoms in the first place. So it's not just about these labs. We have to look at gut health. We have to look at different viral issues. We have to look at the the bioterrain, the, the, the context of that person's health that caused these things to trigger problems. Because look, in theory, you could have people that have positive Lyme tests conventionally or positive Lyme markers that may not be CDC positive, but have had some exposure to to tick bacteria and they feel fine. They're asymptomatic. But for some people, these pathogens can trigger a whole host of different problems like fatigue and autoimmune issues and neurological symptoms. So these pathogens don't 
trigger problems in a vacuum. So we have to look at the greater context of that person's health uh, so we can overall improve improve their symptoms and start to decrease the severity and the frequency of their flare-ups and their symptoms. All right. And again, just to recap, so say this again, I will be going into greater detail in this in an upcoming solo deep dive episode. But for now, that's the 411 on Lime Labs. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon.